0: To Project Vox Populi, where the people speak their truth.
1: It's been quite some time since we did a Vox Populi. As a reminder, Vox Populi is part of Veritas, but it includes people who are not known, haven't written a book, and have an interesting story to tell, and haven't been given the opportunity and the platform to do so we at Veritas are aware that sometimes those people who are denied the voice are the ones who we should listen to I hope tonight's guest is not an exception I won't even tell you what this interview will be about because it covers so many areas but let me just say this young man has a lineage of military aerospace engineers geniuses and even the mafia secrets of what we deem unknown are the hidden history who's in command, what the plan is, and what we as humanity can do. If you're ready for this truth, stay with us.
0: You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback. Just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com, and if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it, and click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick
1: Today's special guest on Vox Populi is Benjamin Farkas, also known as Fratter's Song, and I'm gonna read a bio. I'm gonna let him just put the foundation. From Kent, Washington, I would like to introduce Benjamin Farkas. Hello, Ben, and welcome to Veritas and Vox Populi. How are you?
2: I'm great, Mel. How about you?
1: I'm doing great. And as I told you for the past few weeks, we only choose a Vox Populi person to come to the show once every so often. We haven't had one this year. And you capture my attention because we put some of our videos on YouTube, and you commented in one of them. And this is what what happens sometimes. People write to me, and believe me, I get dozens of requests to be on Vox Populi, but I'm very selective. And you, uh, it captivated me with some of the information you shared, and it's a lot. You have a great story to tell. Why don't you give us a foundation, your story, where you grew up, and how you became enlightened?
2: I moved around a lot as a kid. I grew up uh, mainly in uh, South King County, so that's... uh about 30 minutes south of Seattle. Before that, uh, the majority of my childhood was spent in uh, Aberdeen. That was uh, the home of Kurt Cobain, actually down the street from his house. My <laughs> my growing up was uh, a little bit of a crazy story. Kurt Cobain, you
1: said, I wanted to hear later what you think about his death, but tell me later.
2: Yeah, where basically this this whole mission for knowledge that I have started was something that happened to me when I was about 10 years old uh, in the fourth grade on a summer school trip. I thought about it carefully, and I'm not going to disclose the location or anything about that. Just a personal choice. There's a thing that the grade schools do out here. This is a yearly summer school camp. And, uh, for some reason this year we were going to some completely different location than the two normal places that they go. And, uh, I, uh, originally didn't even have the, you know, uh, money to go out there, but for some reason they made an exception and wanted me to go. And I mean, that's not really important, but, uh, when we got out there almost immediately after we were off the bus, things uh that's when things started to get weird and started to get weird real fast not even 10 minutes off of the bus we were in a round room laying on the floor uh kind of in a circular pattern with our feet you know all touching each other and uh we were told to look at the ceiling and uh I lost consciousness the next thing I remember was being woken up the uh kid next to me was having a seizure and was hitting me in the face and um somebody came up and touched him it was a very blurry uh experience like when I was going in there like completely lightheaded how you know had that that tunnel feeling the next thing I remember I was uh in a line with a bunch of other of my classmates um I'm absolutely sure that this was underground we were in a t- tile room and uh, we were told to, in case we ever had dangerous chemicals get on our skin, that we would uh, take these, what they call dry showers. And um, so we were going down a line and we were pulling this, you know, little chain that hung from the ceiling that, you know, made the uh, nozzle shoot this aerosol all over us. And, uh, These are really patchy, really blurry memories. Um, But what things I do remember, uh, you know, being tortured in very strange and specific ways, sensory deprivation, uh, you know, (laughs) weird stuff. But when things got really strange is when they took us out at night and they took us out to this uh, field where there were all these brand new trees being planted by uh, I think it was Warehouser. I'm not sure. They all had, had tags on them. And it was about 11 at night, and they had us in these groups of three. And the objective that we were supposed to do was to project the image into the minds of the other kids that were in front of us. And each one of these trees had like five pine cones at the base of it. And we were supposed to get these things without them knowing that we were doing it. And this memory didn't even come to me until imagery started triggering it. And I started remembering around the time that I was 17 or 18. And by the time I was 17 and 18, I had a really serious need to try and contribute something to humanity, something to the world. I had always been hyper observant. I've always been a very keen intuitive empath to the point to where it's almost like mind reading and you know that can be really uncomfortable a lot of the times when you're in social situations and you feel everybody else's emotions and they overwhelm your own and you end up kind of isolating because of that but i had came up with all kinds of different things of social and economic programs and i had done the you know, minimal amount of research that I needed to figure out how these things could work. Community pr- programs that could help out a lot of people, you know, really contribute to people that didn't have all the things that they need to to have, you know, a decent life. And these were things that could have really contributed to the city, the county, and it was profitable for the city and the county.
1: When you say you were believing that you were on an underground facility, First of all, how do you know it was an underground facility? Do you have any family members in the military? Who do you think took you there?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of Navy in my family. And uh, there was um, some interesting things that happened to my mother when she was in school where they came and gave them injections. And uh, no parents were asked or told. Nothing was signed about it. But from what I've been able to gather, and this is something that we'll circle back to later, is a lot of these people that seem to have these uh mk ultra experiences or uh special special ops uh i mean real out there weird stuff all have these connections to navy in their family um i've you know even talked and known a, a number of ufo abductees and their parents were special you know special sections in the navy and Like I said, when we'll circle back to it, it all all has to do with an agreement that was made between the United States and the breakaway – the breakaway part of the Nazis that left after World War II and uh, went to uh, Argentina, I think it was, and uh, to Antarctica. But the – the history with my family. Uh, My grandfather was uh, in the Navy before he joined the aerospace industry and uh, went to work for Rocketdyne and Rockwell. And he was the foreman and worked on, built all of the uh, engines for the Apollo program. There are other aspects of Navy in my family that I'm not going to talk about because uh, I'm just not going to. Uh, You know, they're active, so. And then there was uh, the uh, other side of my family that was uh, organized crime. Big money out in California.
1: The, The underground base, was that a military base? And do you remember how you got there or did you just woke up?
2: There is a military base not too far from where I was at. It was about 40 minutes drive from where I'm at. And I know that it was underground because everything was cement. I don't know how to explain it. I can always feel... When I'm underground, uh, everything was cement and everything was tile. And um, the room that they put us in, when we lost consciousness, there was nowhere else to go but down. It was a very strange room, and when you look at the overlay of the map today at this facility, <laughs> that little room doesn't exist. So uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. So I'm pretty sure that it descended underground and that there had to have been some sort of transportation to the uh, military base that was about, uh, about 40 minutes drive from there. And it is a big base.
1: Who do you think the other children were? Were they related to military? Perhaps all of you were related to military and the reason why you were going through sensory deprivation.
2: I'm pretty sure that the uh that the small group that was immediately selected right after we got off of you know the the transportation there there was about six or seven of us and i mean there was a total of 30 40 of us that went and they they had us in that room immediately pretty much right after we got off the bus you know and uh my teacher was in there and man if i could tell you the look that was on her face she was shaking had tears in her eyes um
1: did you get a chance to interact with the other children?
2: Through this time? Yes. The only interaction that I remember was being carried by a guy in fatigues. And uh, this is like, like I said, these are choppy, bloody memories. Um, I'm pretty sure that after that aerosol which I later found out is a derivative of DMT
1: Mm.
0: to
2: activate the higher brain functions. And I remember being carried by one arm and one leg down the hall by a guy in fatigues and they opened this big steel door and he like picked and it started swung me back and forth like he was getting ready to chuck a sack of potatoes and just threw me in this room and uh, they slammed the door and it was pitch black in there. And I was completely paralyzed. I couldn't speak. I couldn't move nothing. And, uh, I was in there for probably, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes until I was in a state of just mortal fear, man. Like I was panicking and I was trying as hard as I could to scream, but I couldn't. And, uh, they opened the door and threw another kid in there with me. Um, the exact same fashion as they threw me in there and, uh, they slammed the door and I was trying so hard to to say something, you know, like I, I didn't know what the hell was going on, you know, and I was screaming out, you know, as hard, trying as hard as I could. And I could hear it in my mind just screaming, hey, you know what I mean? Hey, dude. And uh, he answered back to me. He said, hey. And then after that, everything goes black, just like uh, right after the field. Um, as soon as I try to engage in connecting to this other kid's mind, everything goes black, and I'm pretty sure that this has to do with uh the way that they whatever they do to suppress memory. There are some things I remember, and then there's things that I can't remember
1: well the the part about the sensory deprivation that's a good way to erase a memory, but it's also a good way to prepare you for the future thank obama some people say that he may have gone through some mk ultra programming do you think you went through mk ultra programming yourself
2: i'm absolutely sure that i went through mk ultra programming and uh the sensory deprivation and the purpose from that room from after i started doing research and i'm pretty keen with psychology when you know we have these psychic centers built into us but as you know i'm pretty sure you know we only have 9% of our brain capacity that has been allowed to us and uh even though that these centers are there and even if they give you a drug that that stimulates these centers you're still not used to using them so you they have to force it out of you and with me i guess my response uh was fear when i was in a situation where i felt threatened And uh, worried, and there was no other way that I could move or do anything. The only avenue that was left out to me was to stretch out, you know, with my mind. And I'm pretty sure that's what the uh, different kinds of stupid little torture games and sensory deprivation and all the other dumb crap that they did to us out there. Through research, I had found out that these people, the camp staff, the people that were there doing this to us, were. They went through AmeriCorps for their camp staff, and then I found out that that year, that for that particular place, that AmeriCorps contracted through the SOA for their for their staff there.
1: Those who know, for those who don't know, what is AmeriCorps and SOA?
2: AmeriCorps is I, I don't know. It's like difficult to explain. It's not military, but it is. It, it's it's like a government thing. If you go look it up, AmeriCorps, you know. Uh, People who are going to be uh, community leaders, and it's it's like you you sign up to do stuff with people at uh, state-funded facilities, you know, like a boys and girls club, or uh, probably cleaning stuff up somewhere. But it's it's um, yeah, it's
1: a voluntary civil society. It's kind of an
2: anomaly. Yeah. You know? Um, and uh, the SOA. Um, is the School of the Americas. This is a special forces training academy before they were uh, shut down sometime in the 2000s for, um, I'm pretty sure it was violation of uh, international law, humanitarian stuff, because they were training guys to uh, skin people in South America, uh, skin them alive and hang them up in their villages to uh, discourage the enemy during their their little wars out there in South America. And uh that's when they got shut down. But they of course reopened under a different name, different uh leadership probably. I don't know. I just know that they were shut down and that they're uh their special forces training academy. That's that's something on paper that there's uh there's black ops out there with your kids at summer camp.
1: <laughs> what is the purpose of having you there?
2: Like I said, I was there with my whole fourth grade and uh the other third grade class. It was uh it was just a summer camp. But the reason why I think I was there was they want people from uh, and this is from through my through my research, what I've come to find out. They want people for these type of programs who are from impoverished homes. They can handle a lot more stress. They're used to being treated like and uh, I'm pretty sure that it has to do, like I said, with uh, something we'll circle back to with people that come from families that have Navy in them. I'm pretty sure that there was something that they gave the soldiers and vaccinations after, after the uh, late forties is probably when these programs began.
1: So they're measuring and monitoring generation after generation, just to see what the progeny looks like, what effects, whatever vaccines, whatever they gave them, they want to see the results multi-generationally.
2: Probably. Yeah. This is, this is something that it, it's a, it's definitely, Definitely a long game that the Navy is is playing with these secret projects. And I, I have to stress the occult connections to this stuff.
1: See, when we think of the military, Ben, a lot of people think the military is the last bastion of good that we have in our government. But there's also dark projects. There's a lot of, as you say, the breakaway civilization or breakaway government What is it really? Do we trust the military as the last bastion of freedom and truth?
2: Well, yes and no. Actually, yesterday, the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life, these indictments that are going out since Trump came in office, uh, he has taken out a lot of corruption in and out of the military and uh, appointed people who are You know, men that are honorable and can be trusted to do the right thing. And the indictments have finally begun of right after the arrest of higher MS-13 members who ran the human trafficking, weapons trafficking and drug trafficking is uh, that was. I guess the, the last piece that they wanted to get before they started actually really going after these corrupt politicians, corrupt military. And, uh, I'm, I'm going to assume a lot of businessmen. It is the military who was at the tip of the spear. And these are people who were in these black projects. These are people who have done things that are so sickening and so horrible. And it's usually done to young, innocent, and defenseless people. And this is where the occult overtone comes into it. And I don't like to throw around the word occult as a dirty word because it's not. There's a huge misconception with with Freemasonry and it is not an evil organization. Also, one, one of the other things that happened to me when I was out there as a kid was one of the last memories I remember having before I left was I was walked down a hall by a guy in fatigues, and we went into this room, and the first thing I saw when we opened the door was a crook and flail, which is the the two sticks that the pharaoh holds, and it's the sign of kingship. And I was brought before a 33rd degree mason in there, and this is why I'm sure that I was selected for one of these special programs, is because they brought me in front of the the big guy, and uh, he asked me what I was into, and I told him astrology, meaning astronomy, and he was like, oh, I like astrology. And the uh, the guy in fatigues you know, looked at me with just venom in his eyes, man. He was not a nice guy <laughs> anyway.
1: The, the the 33rd degree mason, do you remember who he was? And
2: No, no. These are very
1: brief memories. His, his last name was not Aquino, right?
2: I have no idea. Okay. I know that there was a general there. And I have been working on trying to find out who this general was. And then there's another part of me that just says, Hey man, leave it alone. Because about seven years ago, when I started to write about this online, (laughs) in a way they got me, I was, uh, I was in a forum and very interestingly enough, uh, when I was in there, there was a guy who came in there under the name SFOD. And, uh, Through the course of conversation and the uh, stuff that I posted on the forum about my experiences, they're trying to find other people who who may have had these experiences, know something about it. He was he was like, oh, I I worked in this program. I, I was there. He, you know, he told me exactly where it was, the layout of the place, every single thing we did on the calendar when we were there, you know, all the places out in the woods that we, that we marched to. He told, he was the one that told me that it was a derivative of DMT that they used on us. Cause I, I had no idea. And, um, it was interesting. I was just in the team speak cause, uh, we, we were talking over, uh, over team speak. They had a forum and the uh, team speak for the forum and. I clicked on this link and my screen went bright pink and up in the right hand corner of the screen, what seemed like a billion images flashed me in like a fraction of the second. And it, it was so fast that it hurt my brain to look at it. And I was in the, I was in a team speak and I was like, whoa, what the you know, what the hell just happened? And he was like, what, what happened? And I was like, man, I just got flashed all these images. And he was like, what images do you remember? What images do you remember? Like he was you know, like, he was on it. And, uh, when I told him what images I remembered, he said a sequence of words to me, which I'm not going to repeat. And, um, for three days, cause like, right after he said it to me, I was just like, oh, okay. He said, no, what you remember is, and he said, those sequences of words. And for three days, I was just kind of like, whatever. And then when I remembered, I was like, Oh wait, what the hell? And I went back in there. I'm like, what the hell did you say to me? Like, I I know what a trigger phrase is. Like you never hear these words put together anywhere else. Like, and he, he would not answer any question that I had to him about that subject. And, uh, and he was doing other strange things in that team speak playing weird sounds in there and asking people what they visualized, all kinds of goofy stuff went on in there. You know what I mean? Like people think like conspiracy theorists are, are are crazy people. Oh man, these people need medication. No, there are so many strange things that go on in the world and they get away with it because people just honestly think it's a, it's a load of crap. <laughs> it's really not. You have no idea how many people are secretly and unscrupulously screwed with by the powers that be. And it's a sickening thing. But uh,
1: So the people who say, and I get probably once a week, I get somebody saying, I am a test subject. I'm being hit with energy, with microwaves and so on. I have no proof to substantiate what they say, but they believe it. And it's almost the same, same situation for a lot of them. So you think this is really happening?
2: I, the only thing I can say from my personal experiences is that I can prove on paper that there is a special forces team out there. I can prove that a general visited us via the witnesses, if I were ever to contact them, and uh, that the head of the facility that I went to is prior Navy. That's the only thing I can do to substantiate my claims.
1: Right now, there's a coup taking place. And if anybody doesn't see that happening, well, I don't know where you have been in the last almost four years. And there's also something happening within the military. Do you think something is happening? And I don't mean to fast forward all the way to now, but something tells me that from now until November 3rd, a few events will occur. Do you concur?
2: From what I've been hearing, yes and there I think this is probably the right time to uh, bring up the Nazi Navy connection okay and uh, talk about the history of the uh, history of the Third Reich and uh, how they came to almost completely integrate into our military and our university programs and our space programs our uh, Department of Defense, national security agencies. They completely infiltrated us, and we allowed it to happen. How the the Third Reich, the, the Nazi Party, and if you know enough about uh, Germany and the people in Germany that were running things, the uh, esoteric tradition was very strong in the German people. They are very skilled mystics. And I have to give it to the Germans. They are great engineers. Uh, they're they're very keen minded people, and uh, they have a very strong esoteric tradition. There was a woman by the name of Maria Orsich, who uh, I've been I found her granddaughter on YouTube, and I've been trying to get her to talk to me, and she won't reply to me. What a shame! Um, she was she was a, beautiful. Maria Orsing was beautiful. Oh, yes, she is. (laughs) She has some pretty provocative pictures on there.
1: Was she even from this place?
2: From Germany? Oh, oh, this place. Some people say that he was from the Vril Society. Yeah, she was from the Vril Society. There's, I never mind, I'm not going to make that connection. It's it's pretty, pretty random. You know the Billy Meyer story? I do. I've covered it many times. Yeah, he's the only guy to ever come up with any hard evidence. You know what I mean? The, uh, beam through the trees, the, uh, UFOs on camera, the, the, the metal from the UFOs, and that girl, the one that always began, the one that began the contacts with him, Semyasi, whatever that girl's name was, yeah. looks strikingly like Maria Orsich. and Semyasi happens to be a little known fallen angel. And I mean, that's the actual name that was, uh, I think it's in the book of Enoch. I'm not sure. I saw it just a couple weeks ago and, and made that connection. I was like, whoa. But um, going back to uh, the Viral Society, uh, Maria Orsic and a number of these women were very keen psychic mediums. And they started to get contacts. And these contacts were very sophisticated mathematical formula, metallurgical formulas. Eventually, they made it to a university with this stuff. And, uh, the university had recognized like, no, this is very advanced stuff. That's when the Nazis stepped in, if I remember correctly. Um, I, I don't think it was prior to that point, but this all culminated as, as, as the Nazis found out that there were thousands of these Germans that were selling off their businesses, selling off their farms and ordering very, hard to find in advanced metallurgical material and uh, engineering materials. And uh, the contact that she, she had was apparently from some people from a planet called Aldebaran uh, were teaching them how to build a UFO and that they wanted a thousand Germans, specifically Germans, to leave the planet and come to them. And after the uh, after the Germans stepped in and figured out that this wasn't a lot of hooey, they took over the entire thing. Eventually, I think it was Hitler himself or it was Heinrich Himmler that was was like, no, 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 we're, stop, stop controlling them. Let them build what they want to build, and they did. They let them. And out of this research, this is where the Nazis got the bell technology, the diglaka the first anti-gravity engine built by humans that, that we can remember. And um, this was in the early 40s. And um, as I'm sure a, a good number of your listeners have heard of uh, Bill Tompkins, he did a great, he was an insider in all these projects, and there was a number of embedded spies in the German government and they were bringing him all this information of of uh, like it was like over 50 sites where they were developing this UFO technology. And, you know, some of our top military brass didn't even want to believe that this was happening. They didn't even take it seriously at first.
1: Let's stick with your story because we've discussed Tompkins and a lot of the rest of third parties. But I want, I'm more interested in your story, what you've learned, who's in charge, the experiences and where we're going from here.
2: Well, that's, that's what I was leading up to was, um, after world war two and the Nazis made it out into the Antarctic, uh, we sent a massive fleet out there to, uh, see what was going on out there and to out, outroute the Germans.
1: Admiral Byrd. Huh?
2: Yeah. Admiral Byrd. Yeah. You know, yep. Operation high jump. And, uh they got their butts handed to them by a fleet of Nazi UFOs and it was shortly after that that the uh, massive flyby uh right over Washington. right over the white house yeah. right over dc
1: 1952
2: yeah and it was the germans basically saying well, you know <laughs> you know we 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 got you by the cojones there's nothing you can do and it was right after that that uh the integration between the Nazis, and it happened to be the Navy. See, there was this huge funding that was going to go into the Air Force, and all of it went to the Navy instead because of this Nazi issue. And it was because the first vehicles that the humans of this era, or I would say this particular species of humanity, made it into space. The first manned vehicle to make it into space was a German (laughs) U-boat, they found that they could get into space with the technology and equipment that they already had and they buttoned up a u-boat put anti-gravity systems in there and they they did they took it right into freaking space
1: how do you know this because i'm thinking of a u-boat it can only go to a certain depth before it implodes on itself because of pressure some people might say that going into a vacuum would just completely disintegrate a U boat up there. So please explain this.
2: This is where I'd have to say you'd have to go into Bill Tompkins' research. I don't know if I actually agree with that. Depending on the thickness of a hole, I mean, exactly. Space shuttles. If if you think of the space program, they make all that stuff as extremely light and thin and you know as possible. And I'm pretty sure at that point that the Germans had the metallurgical experience. To uh, make U-boats out of different materials that were probably much better to be spaceworthy. Well, that's
1: if you believe that we went to space. Because if you look at the Apollo Apollo mission, you see the material, the paraphernalia, the equipment that was used, and you even a child sees that today and says, "Oh, really? This made it to space?" I don't believe that we went to the moon. What's your take on this?
2: The public version. Is definitely not the version. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that there were several missions to where they landed on the moon. It just wasn't what was advertised. That's just my personal belief. It's a it's a good argument. I wish I knew where there was a officer or a storehouse somewhere where I could march in there and, and open a drawer and get the records and, and see for myself. What about all the people
1: that died in nineteen eighty six in the Columbia? And I'm sorry, Challenger disaster. Uh, that uh, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people, wait, 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 1986, that was Columbia, yeah, that was a Challenger. That a lot of people are reporting, and they send me pictures, and you can actually Google it, Challenger astronauts then and now. And many of them look identical. Do you think that really happened, that they died?
2: I can tell you this about the Challenger incident. One of the Voyager probes went through the rings of Neptune. And this was supposed to... uh be a public data release of everything that the voyager pro picked up what they found in the rings was not something that they wanted to divulge to the public and it was two days after the challenger launches when this was supposed to happen and uh it is my and uh other people's beliefs that they blew up the challenger to postpone that that public data release because of what they had found in the rings of neptune they needed time to uh to doctor that data,
1: you're saying that they needed a distraction.
2: Yeah, if you watch the uh, Challenger explosion on the right side of the craft, I think—this is just my opinion—that there's a very large bright spot to where I think a directed energy uh, microwave weapon was was hitting that thing on the way up. But um, what I was saying with the uh, with the Navy and why they got all that money. Was because they were trying to give us the duplicate technology, so we could send our submarines up into into space too.
1: I remember back in 2008, I believe it was, or maybe even a little bit before. You know the story of Gary McKinnon, the alleged hacker. I mean, he was not a yeah. hacker. He was just an autistic person who decided I want to learn more, and he couldn't stop. And he was able to log into certain servers. And two things come to mind. He said. That we have the USS Roscoe Hillencutter and USS Curtis LeMay.
2: The Solar Warden data, yeah. It's like Navy ships flying above our heads. Was it Eisenhower or Nixon? I don't remember. Whatever president was uh, there for that alleged um, meeting, wherever they they thought that... uh, Eisenhower. Eisenhower, yeah. When he found out about Solar Warden, that became like his uh, total obsession yeah he was all about that afterwards. so going
1: back to your story, why do you think they chose your classroom? You're saying your teacher
2: and your classmates, all of them were there with you? no when we when we got off of the bus, they separated us into two groups, and then my group was taken out of the other uh, the, the the group that we were in. so uh they had only picked about seven of us. To go in that into that small little room.
1: Okay, what was the time frame between when the event happened and when you returned to a "quote unquote" normal life?
2: That was that. Yeah, that's an interesting part because when we went in there, it was like 11 in the morning, and uh, when we were leaving, we were all on when we were we were all on the ground in there still laying and they're all like okay everybody get up get up get up and then we were like really rushing us to our feet like not giving us time to at all they were like get up come on let's go let's go and when i was standing up i was so dizzy that i had to use the wall and the person in front of me to steady myself otherwise i would have fallen over or tripped and when we walked out of the door of that little room it was dusk the entire day had disappeared. And, and the funny thing is, none of us were thinking about that at the time. <laughs> and, uh, they, they walked us, uh, down the sidewalk and we went into the, uh, the gym building that they had in there. And, uh, it was interesting because all of the lights, like for some reason, they had all the lights turned down everywhere. Like they kept it really dim. For some reason, and and we were in the gym and we were uh, bouncing around basketball, talking, playing around, and me and like three of my classmates lost our voice for some reason. And uh, I, I got in trouble because we were punching each other in the chest and <laughs> trying to get our voices back. I can't really remember what happened directly after that. I think we ate, sat around a campfire, and then we went to bed. And uh, it was really interesting because... They they had one of these uh one of these staff members that was sitting in a sort of little office that was around the corner from where we were all sleeping in our bunks, and no matter how quietly they we whispered, they they were like, Stop talking. And there's no way they would have heard us. And uh another thing is when we were marching out to that field at night, my grandmother had just bought me two pair of socks and, and new boots to go out there to the to the summer camp. And, uh, I'd put on two pairs of these really thick, nice socks and I hadn't broke the boots in yet. And I was thinking like, maybe, maybe because I'm wearing two pairs of socks, my feet hurt. And I said out loud, like, man, my feet hurt. And from like 10, 15 feet behind me, that camp, uh, the camp staff was just like, how many pairs of socks are you wearing? You know, talking to me like I was an idiot. I'm damn sure that they were psychics as well. They were reading in my mind. So what happened after? I mean, I just, I'm trying to
1: understand the purpose of that event and what Uh happened after when you went back to school, you saw your teacher again,
2: right? That's why I was trying to talk about the Nazi Navy connection because of what these programs are and how they get people into them. Like I said, from the collaboration with the Nazi party and the Navy and our government, they had, and from Project Paperclip and all the all the MK Ultra research from the scientists that we brought over from Paperclip, they have ways. And from what the Germans discovered out there in the Arctic, and I don't have any proof to substantiate this, but they found many different colonies from many different prior settlements of advanced cultures. And uh, what was rumored was they found materials and technologies from Atlantis. And one of these things that they found was a booth that age regresses you about 20 years. And if you do enough research with this solar warden program and, uh, listen to the people that I can actually remember what happened to them, they do not recruit regular military guys for this. They take people And they, after their term, after their 20 years is up in Solar Warden, or however long they spend in there, they age regress them and then bring them back into the point of time to where they began. So nobody can substantiate this. That's why what Gary McKinnon found was so sensitive. What I believe that camp was for was to find people for these very sensitive secret projects and uh, it's strange I have triggers that make me think I have a pretty sneaking uh, suspicion that I, I was up there I I can't prove it I don't have any memories whatsoever I just have triggers when I see certain imagery that really make me think that I was up there from that day on from When I was there, I was extremely sensitive, intuitive empath. I mean, talking to people for five minutes and and being able to pick up all these little tells about their feelings and personality and could tell them exactly what their childhood was like, how many parents they had, what kind of pets they had, you know, like uh, really weird things. You know what I mean? I pick up on very strange. Like I was very keen being an intuitive empath from from that time on. And I'm pretty sure that was the objective for what they wanted people for. They wanted to find people that were that did well with programming. And there was also other things out there that make me think that that was one of the things they were doing with MKUltra was responding, uh, looking at uh, people that responded the best with uh, pre-programmed instructions to find people who were intuitive empaths and psychics.
1: Is there a connection, Ben, between the CIA, what you experienced, and the drug industry? And I'm talking about the illegal drug industry.
2: From what we all know, basically everybody is that the CIA and Delta Force have been behind so many of the Contra conspiracies. They're the ones running the South American drug lords. And uh, all of the trillions and trillions of dollars that they've got out of that drug industry is what goes to fund all of these black projects.
1: There's no doubt that this is happening. But with this, they want to take away, get, get away with cash. Do away with cash, rather. They want to have a, you know whether it's going to be a Bitcoin type currency or a cyber currency that's in the works right now. What would happen to the drug trade if all of a sudden cash is eliminated from trading?
2: If you uh, if you poke around on the dark web and if you uh, really want to buy high quality pure drugs, uh, you do it with you Bitcoin. can do it with Bitcoin. Yeah.
1: Okay. So now, how from there, what happened to you? You gravitated to Russia Crusins, to other esoteric things uh, Freemasonry yeah what happened next
2: like I said from when I was like 17 I, I really wanted to do something for society and I actually had really intricate very well planned out things for for uh, public programs that could really benefit a lot of people after taking a real good hard look at the world around me and uh, started getting into conspiracy stuff and learning about the different, different agendas of the new world order. I, uh, I was pretty much completely convinced that they were trying to crash the country, (laughs) you know, trying to crash the economy and that, uh, that I would never be able to see any of those things ever really come to light. And uh, from that point on, I really didn't have anything that I felt uh, was worth living for. No, not like that. But nothing that I wanted to do was anything that I thought possible. So, you know, like any normal teenager, I just partied. And I partied for a long time. (laughs) And uh, I got pretty deep into uh, the narcotics trade and uh, was almost a millionaire At one point. And I did that till I was about 28 years old. And uh, the mayor of my town uh, tasked a whole seven detective task force to bring me down. And my butt went to prison. And um, for how long? Oh, I, I got lucky. I was only in there for a year. They didn't really have a case, but if I were to take it to trial, they could have slapped me with the RICO Act. So I, I took the year that they wanted to give me and I smiled. <laughs> I was like, thanks. I do not want 15, 20 years. But, um, when I was, uh, when I was in jail and my head was starting to clear, I was goofing around talking to people, you know, the whole, uh, Saturn, whole Saturn theory with, uh, David Icke and those guys, of Saturn moon matrix. I got really yes. interested in Saturn and uh, interested in Freemasonry. And I'd started doing a little bit of research into Freemasonry and uh, Solomon's Temple, which is their uh, Holy of Holies. And uh, I started to look at Solomon's Temple and I drew it out on a piece of paper and I tried to look at it like math and um, how it tied into certain um, symbols in Freemasonry. And after I'd drawn it out in math and I saw something very interesting, it was strange later on that night when I was laying in my bunk and I was in a half-sleep state, it seemed like something from somewhere took a mass amount of information and just crammed it into my head. And in just a, a split moment, I understood so many things about space, time, dimension. I understood how uh, particles only travel at the speed of light, and anything that goes faster than the speed of light is subject to vibration and wants to break apart. I understood why the speed of light existed in the first place, how nebulas can compress into a star without a center of gravity. And it is because that space is like a liquid, it's viscous, it, it's, it's pliable, it's stretchable, but it has anything traveling through space actually in, encounters resistance against velocity. And if you have resistance against velocity or any particle traveling faster than the speed of light is subject to vibrational forces and, and, and shearing forces that want to break it apart at the cellular level, that means that it's encountering a substance. And I learned and understood how space had mass. And it, it was, it was really interesting how these mechanics, like I'd never thought about anything like that before. And all of a sudden I understood this. And then I understood the dynamics and the mechanics of dimensions and how the dimensions are set up.
1: Have you seen the launch of some of the SpaceX rockets? Um, Not really. Well, some of these Elon Musk rockets, they go above. Some people may say there's a firmament up there, and there could be almost like liquid up there. But apparently, it, it, it can only be done at certain times of the year when they can actually go through it. And if you look at those launches... And you look at how th- that rocket traverses. It's almost as if it's going underwater, but you can see it up there. It has this trail behind it, unlike the Saturn rockets from Von Braun and the rest of them. I just wanted to know if you, if you, have, if you see a connection there.
2: I think that there's a huge reason why NASA and other space agencies do not go past rocketry. I mean, we're talking about this is stuff that was conceived in 1920, a hundred years and all our scientific advancements, and we haven't moved past rocketry. They're definitely hiding something about the nature of space and space travel. About the firmament, and if you're going to subscribe to that theory, you're going to bring up flat Earth, and I really just can't go with that. (laughs) Did I say Um, that? Huh? Did I say flat Earth? You said it. Yeah, I, I can't go with that. Well, I mean, if you want to believe in the firmament thing, you know, that God created the earth and the firmament above and that it's a huge sheet of ice and that the earth is flat. I mean, it's
1: just something here. I did not say that I'm a flat earther. I'm just saying that I see those rockets go up there and it almost looks as if there's some liquid up there.
2: Yeah. As if yeah, the no, space that's...
1: that we're, we're told is not the same. But I'm not bringing up the flat earth at all.
2: No, I wasn't saying that you were. And I was I was going to say that yes, you know that there's definitely a difference. That space is not a vacuum. because if you if you consider the speed of light, mm-hmm. a particle travels from the sun to the earth. A light a light particle or a light wave. It takes seven minutes to get from the sun to the earth. If you're going to travel anywhere out in the universe that matters at all, the speed of light has to be completely surpassed. And in order to do that, you have to have a firm understanding of harmonics, because when you go through certain speeds in space, like I said, it's a vibrational effect that is the speed of light restriction. But that's also if you
1: believe, and again, not a flat earth situation, but that's also if you believe that the distance between earth and the sun is 93.4 million miles.
2: Yeah, I, I, if if that's true, that's uh, I I didn't know that specific distance, but the science told
1: us that, and we believe it. And I'm not saying that I'm a flat earther. I've I'm, I'm always say I'm a globe skeptic. I have never ever been able to go up in space to see it for myself. I have never seen a NASA photograph that proves to me that we live on a ball either, because all they give us, and it's confirmed by them, is a composite. So I'm not saying that the earth is flat. I'm just saying you haven't shown me that the earth is a ball either. As an open-minded skeptic, I have to doubt either or. So until the day that I can confirm either or, I stay a skeptic.
2: Yeah, skepticism is, is really healthy. I'm a very open-minded person, but... I'm also a really hard skeptic. I don't believe anything unless I've done a lot of hours of research. In 20 years, every single day, I dedicate at least three to five hours to hard research. Like I learn constantly. Like I stopped watching TV. I stopped playing video games. All I do is research. It's uh, it's it's an itch that I <laughs> that I haven't been able to scratch. You know, I'm, I, that itch is always there. So let's get back to to the. The topic is, we can talk about this
1: forever. I mean, this is so interesting. We have so many questions, but it's very easy to go on a tangent. When it comes to presidents, are they elected or selected? And if they are
2: selected, then how in the
1: world did President Trump get elected?
2: I think that it was his promises to the people. Uh, He was promising things that other people were not promising. And uh, as a country, we were seriously fed up with what's been going on. They were tearing this country apart. It's sad. I was the hugest patriot. And then I, I kind of became ashamed to be of being an American because of because of how how idiotic how far we've allowed ourselves To become complacent and comfortable. I mean, you've you've seen those videos where guys go around with a clipboard and get all these signatures for uh, the Holocaust beach party or uh, to allow the military to come in and take over their homes and live there uh, whenever they want with or without permission. That's that's why I think Trump was elected. People saw something different in him that other that other guys weren't promising. And, uh, we all know that at certain point there's control and then there's corruption and the presidents from what I've been able to research, what I've learned is there is a very specific astrological and numerolo- numerological system that they use for selecting people for higher positions. And, uh, this, uh, if you, if you want to research this on your own, um, the man who trained I Ching. Talked about this system, he said. I knew that you were going to be uh, someone who is going to make an impact. That you're that you're a unique person that's that's meant for something greater because of this system of math that the Chinese had for a long time. It's a, it's a numerological system that uh, predicts the birth of influential people. Like for instance, uh, you know, what what sign are you? Libra a Libra. Well, why do you act like a Libra and I act like a Leo? Positions of the cosmos, everything gives off a harmonic signature. Everything gives off an electromagnetic signature. And when these influences are upon us during our conception and on our birth, it has a huge impact of what our personality and what our destiny is going to be. There is a certain amount of predeterminism that I firmly believe to be a reality, it's almost like the Newtonian physics, like if you knew every particle's location and speed that you could predict the interactions for the rest of time, even though that's not accurate, something like that. And uh, they knew who these presidents were going to be from their astrological chart, from their natal chart, and through this advanced system of numerology. They were talking about Barack Obama becoming president way back in the fifties, and they were saying, "Would you believe it? We were we're actually going to have a Negro president." And I'm not racist. Excuse the term, but that was uh, that. Those were the words used. If you look at the Lincoln and Kennedy connection and their natal chart, and uh, it's really easy to research. All you do is throw it in Google Kennedy. And Lincoln connection. And you'll see these very odd mirrored similarities between them. And then very odd mirrored similarities with the people and places of their assassination. So not only do they have an advanced occult or esoteric system for predicting these people, they also have an equal set of contingencies. That they can bring them down using that same system of math when the most opportunistic, likely moment for this manifestation to occur. Like I said, just like how I act like a Leo and you act like a Libra, there are alignments when certain things are much easier to manifest than they would be otherwise.
1: I totally believe that something happened within the government, and I would say the military, that put a stop to the election fraud. In November of 2016 I want free and fair elections For everybody If yeah. the left wins fairly Go ahead That is my precedent If the right wins That is my precedent But I think that something happened Within the military That they went out to some Certain critical points That had election fraud And they fixed it And this is why Trump won mm-hmm. Because I believe that elections have to stop are ra- the
2: electronic voting Exactly That's where a lot of fraud occurs
1: Exactly But we have to take a one and only break. And what you said about Lincoln, so true. I'm looking at a... And a lot of you listeners know about this, but it's from the Harvard Review. The Lincoln-Kennedy coincidences. Both Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy were first elected to Congress in 46 and became president in 60. John Wilkes Booth shot Lincoln in a theater and ran to a warehouse Lee Harvey Oswald shot Kennedy, of course we know that's not true, from a warehouse and ran to a theater. That's what we've been told. When Kennedy was shot, the car he was riding was a Lincoln. There's a bunch more coincidence and links. If you want to go to Harvard, EDU, you'll find it.
2: uh, I think it was Lincoln's assistant was named Kennedy, and Kennedy's assistant was named Lincoln. Yes, that is correct. And if you look at their faces on an overlay, they have a, a, a very interesting same facial structure. Are
1: we on the same page, Ben? I'm looking exactly at the bottom of that page and you see the overlay in the middle and yes, there's some some similarities there. Are you looking at the same page?
2: I've seen the image that you're looking at. Okay. Uh, I just have Skype open.
1: How can people learn more about your work? I know you're new at this. I'm used to saying that with every interview. You don't have a book. You don't have a website. Although I know you're writing a book that's going to be probably coming out in about a year. Am I right?
2: Um... Yeah, uh, I, I'm just about finished with it. It'll be finished uh, within a month, and then there's a whole lot of editing and all the other minutiae that goes into it. I know yeah. I said Benjamin
1: Farkas, but you really go under a Fratter name. Fratter
2: Song, correct? Yeah. Fratter Song, uh, from, uh, it's short for Song of the Sun, and, uh, I usually don't go by Farkas. Everything online, all of my social media would be Benjamin Wolf. But, uh, which is the
1: Americanized or Anglicized last name. Farkas is the Hungarian one, right?
2: Yeah, Farkas is a Hungarian for wolf.
1: Excellent. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about Tesla. What you know yeah. about Tesla tech. And did Tesla have anything to do about Tunguska, about the Eiffel Tower? And a lot more. We're going to go deeper into the rabbit hole with Benjamin Farkas. Rader song. This is Mel Hostelrich. And you are listening to Veritas Vox
3: Populi. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas because you don't want to believe you want to know.